Brian Shaw got $3 million. Brian Shaw got $3 million. Brian Shaw got $3 million. We're going to talk about Brian Shaw again. We're also going to get into a little bit of fun with the scouting notebook from 1998 and talk a little bit about some players who are, quote-unquote, making waves at camp in the early goings of spring training. While spring training may not matter, it is important to see who is getting talked about more than maybe how they are playing on the field. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So my name is Jeff Ellis. I'm the host of Lockdown Guardians, have been from its inception to almost 700 episodes now. Before that, I was the lead draft and prospect analyst for Scout and 24-7 Sports. Uh, Before that, I wrote for Indians Baseball and Indians Prospect Insider. I go that far back on the Prospect Insider. Had stuff appear on Cleveland Fan waiting for next year. Pretty much anywhere that is a Cleveland sports blog that was focused on baseball. You read my work, mostly relating to the draft, I was willing to bet. But potentially on anything, uh, you know, like I said, I have right here, if you can't see it. And this was kind of a revelation as I was looking through it beforehand. I read this this scouting notebook from 1998 cover to cover, probably about 10 times. I would have been, let's see, and I was 16 in 1997 when the uh, Indians made the World Series. And, I mean, I just love things like this. Bio on every single player, like... I mean, I don't know how well this will show up on the YouTube. It might be fun. Uh, but, I mean, it, it shows, like, spray charts, how they did it against Mike Piazza here, righties versus lefties. And then the the stats and, you know, throwing strikes and what counts when you're heading behind. Uh, plus, every team had their prospect um, list in here. Uh, I wish I'd kept a sticker on it because I know I did not pay the full freight. I'm not sure where I found it, but it was... I, I mean, I held on to it for a reason, right? Like... <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone in this that's uh, still kicking around. Uh, I mean, definitely not. Let's be honest. I was 16. There's no one left in the league from when I was 16. Uh, Even if they were a young prospect by now, they'd be, um, you know, done with baseball. Uh, I was like, could there have been a kid who signed at 15 who would have made the prospect list? No. (laughs) My co-host wants to join in. Um, He's like, hey, I'm 14 now. Do, Do I get signed soon? Uh, he has some thoughts on this particular scouting notebook. Uh, I do want to take a moment, though, and thank everyone for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you get podcasts free, available. And, uh, you know, we are an interesting take on all things Guardians. We'll get into more of this. But, uh, like I said, what was revelatory for this was the realization that, you know, I guess I'd never really sat down and look who who wrote it and who did all the prospect profiles. So I've often talked about, like, the two most important people in my prospect um life in terms of like making me realize that there are people out there who write about prospects uh and it's something you can do for a living now i I never did it for a living but i did it as a side hustle i did it as a national writer uh for multiple sites were jim callis and john sickles and i discovered uh sickles and callis both through espn sickles was there first when i was in college at ohio state he wrote like the farm corner for them and then I continued to follow his work uh, when he moved to was he Bleacher Report or 
one of the what was the other one you know where he was minor league ball on the other side of things uh you know he he invented the term loogie i want to say i want to say that came from from sickles and then callus who replaced him both the, and then keith Hallward replaced callus callus was you know i was at all of his chats i remember reading all of them it was you know, it was a real big thing he really with sickles it was more about prospects in general um uh, you know, I distinctly remember getting the internet for the first time when I was a 16-year-old kid, and uh, one of the first five things I looked for was top prospects lists. I mean, I know that's not what you're supposed to <laughs> think a 16-year-old kid's going to look for, but I remember getting into, like, it was a 500-prospect list, Adrian Beltre at the top, and in, like, the low 200s was Marco Scutoro, right? Wasn't that the second baseman uh, who played for a while in the big leagues, came up with the Guardians, was actually a friend of Bartolo Colon. But, like, I have that memory. I wish I could remember anything else on that list other than Beltre 1, Scutaro in the, like, 284s. But I totally just searched through it to see who they had um, from the Guardians listed. Because uh, this has always been something. But it was Callis who kind of introduced me to the draft. And I mentioned this, you know, and again, this is kind of set up as we talk about. Again, I don't know how much people can see on this old book when I, with the lighting. But the uh, associate editor, Jim Callis. Every single prospect report in this book was Jim Callis's. So he was even, he was my first prospect read. I didn't realize it until tonight. And the write-up on the Minnesota Twins, by the way, John Sickles, both of them. The two people who I credit for developing my love of prospects and getting me to where I am today. Like hosting this podcast where, you know, a good chunk of the time, I mean, I do a a college wrap-up every Wednesday because of my interest in the draft and my love of the draft. Started with those two and they're both in here and I just, I didn't know it until now. Uh, if you're curious, the Cleveland, you know, then it was the Indians. Now they'd be the guardians. Paul Hoynes wrote up all the, uh, reports, uh, a bunch of, um, you know, Callis wrote some other stuff on some other ones, but he wrote up the minor league report in here on the guardians. And there's just, it's a lot of fun to go back and look. And I held on to it cause like I said, I, even after like the 1998 season was over, I still liked going back and looking at just all the data in it. And, you know, soon we're going to talk about what drove you to baseball, it's like how for a kid who was in high school and again i know with the lighting in here i don't have like a good light you can't see it but it's like look for consistency in 1998 expect a better year in 1998 this is relief pitchers like sleepers now who was a, a pitching sleeper in 1998 bartolo Colon listed as a pitching sleeper in 1998 uh let's see is there anyone else on here from the guardians in the starting pitching sleepers not really uh but you know, it's it's interesting to look at, and you know, a lot of this seems to be based on base runners per inning pitched. Interesting, not really something we use anymore, but yeah, I'm gonna have fun going through it. We'll talk about some of this on the show today, and I'm sure I will be referencing it at points uh, over the next few weeks. But I went and dug that out, and I, I just wanted to share it. Thought it was kind of a fun dig back in. Uh, and like I said, it just struck me that it was funny that. Before I knew who Callis and Sickles were, they actually, I was already reading them. <laughs> like I said, I didn't really know who Sickles was for another, probably about three, four years. Like, I have distinct members, memories living in Taylor Tower. Anyone out there who lived in that dorm at Ohio State and being like a junior? Um, yeah, I stayed in the dorm. Uh, go ahead and mock me if you will. It was the one thing. My parent, I had a, who cares? I stayed in the dorm. I enjoyed my time in the dorm. Uh, but... You know, I remember reading him junior, senior year. So like 03, 04. But no, <laughs> 1998, I was reading him. Callis was like, 
uh, probably about like 05, 06, 07, because I remember distinctly reading him that first year before the first um, draft was on TV. I know so it was like 2011 was the first televised draft. It seems about right. And you know, I just remember wanting Jason Hayward. Like when he slid unexpectedly out of the top 10 picks, it's like, wow, maybe they'll take Hayward. They took Bo Mills. Uh, that's, that was that draft. So, yeah, let's, we'll finish talking about this for now. And we'll get back into it. I had been promising I would show it. But that's just kind of a fun thing. Uh, you know, hit me up on my Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. Let me know, like, who was your influence? Is it, you know, I don't like, like I said, I'm going to do a, a bigger piece on like things like this. It's like, I don't distinctly remember like reading specific people in the, the, uh, the Beacon Journal growing up as a kid in Akron. Uh, as I got older, like Terry Pluto was probably a name that stuck out for me, but it wasn't like I was, I didn't have an author that I was searching out. I was reading that thing cover to cover as a kid and then cutting out the stats section. Uh, there wasn't really anyone who quite vibrated to my frequency because there wasn't anyone really doing writing that was heavily stats based or, you know, had kind of new ways of thought. So for me, it's a lot of like the writers who really got me going were these ones. Yeah, you know, I got excited about the beacon when it had the minor league prospects in it. So in their statistical performance and things like that, uh, and there wasn't as much prospect talk. So this was kind of what got me going. Who who was it? You know, who are the people? I would be shocked. Don't you don't have to kiss up to me at all. But if, is there anyone that I was that person for? I'd be a little weird to think about now. But yeah, it's uh, I'd be curious to see who are the ones who influenced you, especially if you're someone like me who ended up like doing it as a side hustle. Who influenced you? Who were the writers that kind of motivated you? And uh, what were the things you liked? We're going to do, like I said, a, a, a quickie about that. I know I did it as kind of a first segment here, but uh, I literally pulled this out to talk about it on the show. And then I saw the names and it was going through and I'm like, well, OK, we'll do some behind baseball at the start. We're going to take our first break now. We're going to come back and talk Brian Shaw again uh there is good things to talk about in that and we're also going to dive into gabriel arias who has really been the talk of the day from a positive perspective our first sponsor of the day is builtbar.com i love built bar uh, if i was not someone who was a gluten-free person uh, if gluten didn't make me a little ill i'd be ordering right now because i love their puffs and the brownie batter puff sounds delicious and amazing and when you buy a brownie batter puff right now sorry hard to say brownie batter quickly you get to try their new yellow chirps new mini puffs which i like their mini puffs to begin with i did an order of minis recently back in the fall so you're getting a free order and you're getting the brownie batter puffs which sound delicious and hey, right now I got to point out uh, banana nut, which is banana nut bread, which I have eaten in the past. Uh, it is, I believe, another one I shouldn't have eaten. Uh, <laughs> found out later, uh, and but you know it is it contains milk, tree. No, that, I was okay. This one is fine. If you're like me, hey, guess what? It's just milk, soy, and tree nuts. I enjoy that one. That's currently on sale. And banana nut bread is not a all the time flavor they do banana super well i've always enjoyed banana over at builtbar.com it is a sale limited release the brownie batter puff is a limited release it's a great time to go and order from built bar i love built bar i eat built bar daily i buy from built bar on the regular because it is a product i enjoy they got me hooked with a few uh, bars at the beginning and since then i've been a loyal customer it is great for you it is great tasting and remember to use the promo code lock 15 because not only now would you get that if you ordered some brownie batters you get 15% off 
you get those bonus minis. And if you're like me and you end up loving it, you build up your built bar, uh, your built points. And there's ways to build up those points without buying anything as well. So every single time I order, I get $5 off. I use the 15% off saying locked 15. And then I keep just keep it going. It is a delicious product. It is great for you. Go today to builtbar.com today. Use the promo code locked 15. It, again, it's just a product I love. Okay, so Brian shot $3 million is ridiculous. Like, I did not like that deal when I thought he was a non-roster invitee. Who are they bidding against? And you know it is a bad deal. You know it is a horrible deal. When if you put Brian Shaw at $3 million on waivers, no team would claim him. Nobody was rushing to sign him. We've seen the market shake down. Like, I was talking about how they, uh, you know, Colin McHugh was like two years, $5 million. The deal for Shaw, I mean, I'd love to see. It's like three years with $9 million up to a potential $9 million. Like, it's got crazy high. He's not going to hit him. That's part of the reason why I'm sure they felt good about uh, I'm trying to see if I can pull up the full specifics. I just saw it in a tweet. He made $1 million last year, was great for a month, and then he only threw the cutter. Everyone knew it was coming. His velocity dipped. His control dipped. His strikeout rate dipped. His hard hard hit rate increased. He was not a good pitcher. And they're giving him $3 million with a chance for it to get up to $9 million. So we haven't seen the specifics yet. Plus, they now have to cut someone from the 40-man. So it's like, who is the person who goes? Should we just pull up the 40-man roster? Sometimes, I mean, if I could probably name all 40 for the Guardians, but that would you know take me time. Just looking at the list and who's left. Uh, on this team it's like who are they going to cut who is the player who probably is you know that they already moved Vargas off so you know they're not going to like go one of their catchers right now that that's a guarantee on the infield maybe it's Yu Chen Chang maybe it's Ernie Clement I just have a feeling they have so much infield depth that it, it's going to be an infielder as opposed to like a Logan Allen who we talked about on the show yesterday why does a Logan Allen or a Sam Henches stick around even though they've never been effective because no one's going to be ready to throw more than like 70 pitches. They need guys who have experience as a starter to piggyback. And with Cody Morris moving to the disabled list, and I, again, I don't think he gets moved to the 60-man unless they are really desperate and don't want to cut someone. But if they're that desperate, they need to make a trade. And like I said, even if you are not trading for help for now, then it is time to do those trades that Tampa is famous for where they trade and they did those trades with the, the Guardians, adding someone like Ruben Cartagenas. When they traded Tobias Myers to Cleveland and got a prospect in the lower minors, uh, the Guardians need to do that. If you're not going to figure out a way to handle your 40-man when it's overstuffed, that's what you need to do. And right now, you know, you're not going to let go of one of those outfielders. I've talked about many times. There's some level of value to all of them. Infield, you have so many players. I think that's where you have to go. So yeah, just with the general look on this team, I think it's probably Clement, as he's just more buried. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know what the, it's either that or, you know, if they think Yu Chen Chang isn't going to bring cap with the team, which could happen, then maybe it's him. But the fact that he got a three million dollar contract when they're bidding against nobody, uh, because Willis and Francona bemoaned veteran leadership, and this is the guy they wanted back, even though he wasn't good for most of the season and hasn't been good. You know, he's got a negative war for the last four years, every single year. $3 million is a lot. The chance to get up to $9 million in incentives. Uh, and if those incentives are like appearances or innings pitched, which I doubt they are, like he'll hit those. 
because Tito's going to run him out there all the time. He loves him to death. Uh, it's just, it's rough. It's, it's extremely rough to see this. And I just, I don't know what they're doing. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It, outside of like, they, because even if you're like, okay, this is what Tito wanted, is management giving a manager his desire. Why does it take $3 million? Because it shouldn't. There's no way. And for a team that's like refusing to spend, the only reason I see to give him $3 million is to bump up your payroll past a few other teams. So when people start looping together the really bad teams in terms of payroll, the teams who aren't paying anyone, the, you know, when Jock Peterson's tweet about low spenders uh, gets kicked around the whole league and makes, you know, it, it pops up uh, on my phone because it got enough traction. And other teams are making fun of the Guardians for their lack of spending. And, you know, it's a Dallas Keuchel and Jack Peterson and others, I'm sure, is to you give him three million dollars to make it less embarrassing. So you're not like bottom three. Um, I went and looked at sports track. It only moves them past one team, according to that. But the sports track data is wrong. It doesn't have any of the arbitration eligible um, deals in it. So it's not all that worthwhile, which is, you know, Jock Peterson clearly got his info from there. And that was also like wrong information that. You know, he still is absolutely right to call out those teams. But that's literally the only reason, only thing that makes sense for giving Brian Shaw $3 million. There's no way that he is worth that. And there's no way that anyone's bidding that. And instead he's, he signed and it's just, it's ridiculous. And I don't know, you know, there's a Zach Meisel had a great thing where it just shows like hard hit percentage by month. And you see this line, like May, he's at 10%, or April. May, it starts going up. By June, his hard hit percentage is up to 45. Just a straight line. April, May, like everyone's realized he had one pitch and was coming all the time, and everyone started to hit it hard all the time. And his average exit velocity on that cutter went from 84 up to the 90s. The slugging percentage on it went up massively the average on it went up massively i mean everyone he had that great april and may and then everyone knew it was coming and he got tagged up and yeah should i say it again three million dollars it's this team spent four million dollars which right now you know if we're looking at what they're at like a 49 million dollar payroll so it's like 52 million four divided by 52 if i did the math is what 13 13 percent right that let me know if i'm wrong uh but yeah 13 percent of the payroll to two players who should have been non-roster invitees or league minimums um luke mayley hasn't been able to keep a big league job he's okay as a backup he's solid as a backup and i get it the uh, free agent catcher market is pretty awful but it's not like he's bringing enough to really earn a million dollars to a team um and then i mean I'd have to I'd have to go dig and look. I mean, Roberto Perez got something similar, right? Like, didn't he get just about as much to go to Pittsburgh? And he's, you know, a much better defender and has some physical tools there um, to at least fall into some power. The other side of things is, uh, it's, I mean, I, I don't understand. It is a very smart front office. It is a front office I've defended to the hilt. It is a front office filled with people who do their jobs exceptionally well. You know, at the end of the day, they probably looked at the free agent catcher market and goes, we need someone. We need someone we can trust defensively. We value defense, framing, and calling a game. So at least I could make sense of that signing. Was it an overpay? Yes. But it is one that you could make sense of based on the market. 
there's no logic or sense to be made out of Shaw. That's that's just the truth. I don't I don't get it, and you're never going to be able to explain it to me because unless you're looking at like ERA, uh, which we know is like extremely flawed for a sample size of a reliever, there is no statistical proof that he was anything other than replacement level over the course of a full season, and there's nothing to show that he was good over the course of a full season. He had his worst walk rate of his career. So not only did play, uh, teams figure him out and start to hit him hard, his ability to command the strike zone started to get worse. It's going to be a bad year. Like I said, I said it earlier, I didn't think he'd finish the year with the team. They're paying him $3 million. Now it's likely. But yeah, I think we'll see him added official announcement soon. And then we'll have to see either they decide to just send Cody Morris to the 60-day disabled list because they're worried about his overall shoulder fatigue. Again, that would be a bit overkill when you're saying, you know, uh, four to six weeks because even the long end of that is only 42 days. But the other side of it is cutting a Clement, likely. Um, Cutting a Chang, one of those guys. So I I don't know what you do. But we're going to take our next break, come back, and talk a little Michael Conforto and why he's the last man standing after one of our free agent targets signed yesterday after I'd finished recording the podcast. Let's talk about our good friends over at Bet Online. It's the time of year again as college as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting sport sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay. So I put out the stat book, talked about it. Well, hopefully, maybe we get get a little bit of a nugget from there. Uh, let's talk about the fact that Tommy Pham got $7.5 million, which is more than I expected, honestly, to go to the Reds. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the Reds are doing either. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. Let me change that. Here's the thing. Tommy Pham wasn't that bad a year ago. He's not making a ton of money. By midseason, he will be a trade asset. He is going to, uh, he is a candidate to rebound, but even if he doesn't rebound, he is a league average bat. Teams always need outfield assistance. He is going to be a trade asset for them. They will turn, excuse me, he'll turn 3.5 million or so into a trade asset. So I get what the Reds are doing. Let me change that. That leaves essentially Michael Conforto. So why is Michael Conforto the last man standing? Um, I know a lot of people have liked him at various points. There's two big driving factors here. One, he's unvaccinated. Uh, that means he's not going to be able to play in Canada all year. And teams, like it was talked that the Red Sox specifically, wanted to discount on signing him uh, if they gave him a one-year deal because he's not going to play in a significant number of their games. Two, um, if you have any inside knowledge of baseball, any connections to anyone in New York, uh, he was not loved. You know, you hear about certain players through the years, and he was a player that was not well-liked in his clubhouse, and people know about that. So when you combine that concern, you know, I some of that with teammates was work ethic I had heard at points, which also, you know, and leads to why teams don't always want to extend someone. It's the stuff behind baseball like that. So you combine the fact that they have a manager who has been unable to stay healthy and is a high risk, even if he's been vaccinated. Um, 
And the fact of the matter is that when you face Toronto, you're not going to have access to him. Those are things. This team has had some ups and downs with uh, with COVID the last two years. Uh, I laugh because, you know, we all remember that essentially after Clevenger was a bonehead, it just gave him all the more reason to, to ship him out. Uh, and Plesak is still here, and he's had his ups and downs. And, you know, we've, Fran Mill had two issues. Uh, you know, and I don't know who's vaccinated and who isn't. I can't, but we know Conforto is not. And I think that is something that, like, teams care about. Like, it's a just, it's an added headache. Um, and it's, even though New York is now cleared and, you know, that, uh, judge and, and, um, why am I blanking on, uh, the first baseman? I want, it's not Rendon, like a man, you know, what happens to us all the time. And the worst part is I can tell you, it's like, he was a Boston Red Sox prospect who went to the Padres and then got traded to the, the Cubs for, I believe a pitching prospect that completely failed for them. Um, <laughs> But I can't remember his name. I've gotten so bad with names as I get older. It's like Anthony R. Why can I not think? Oh my goodness. You guys are seeing a brain melt here on a live podcast. Um, you know, it's life's weird sometimes, I guess. But yeah, no, to get into it, uh, you know, he, Anthony Rizzo, not Anthony Rendon, Anthony Rizzo, could not think of the last name Rizzo to save my life. Had so much data, but last name. Uh, And now I'm thinking of Joe Rizzo, the former, like, first base, third baseman who came up, uh, was a high school kid, a draft pick, Seattle system, Mariners maybe. This is is where my mind and how it works. You're seeing behind the madness. Uh, But Conforto is still out there because, one, he cost you a draft pick. Two, he's unvaccinated. Three, he didn't get along with people well in New York. And it's three strikes and you're out. Like teams, and four, he he's going to cost money to sign because he's a good player. Teams don't want to do number four when you have those other three issues. And, and that's just plain and simply what it's going to come down to. And that's why he is still out there. Like if a guy is still standing right now when everyone else has been snapped up, when the market is basically barren we went through and did the all free agent team um, on the show earlier this week it is a barren market he is still there because of those reasons and those are also the reasons why he doesn't really make a lot of sense to cleveland losing a second round pick not having full access to him not being the best teammate in a clubhouse that seems to have like a really good environment those are things that are going to make you not uh, not a target I still think they desperately need to make a trade. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, they're kind of a joke right now. It, there's no other way around it. Like, with the with the return, you know, we talked about before, with the return of, uh, you know, revenue sharing after the COVID year and then the year after the COVID year kind of sharing that down, the new baseball streams, we're seeing, like, Apple TV and what they paid, so like I'm trying to remember the other channel, blanking off the top of my head. Um, it was like Peacock or something weird like that. It was not like one of the big name ones. Got other streaming rights. Like they're selling multiple streaming rights for hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's a minority owner coming in to add additional cash. And again, I you know I thought the minority owners would want to like come, but they haven't been announced yet. And that could also be the problem. Like until that is formally announced, um, you know. 
technically it hasn't happened. Like everything needs to be done so they can make that announcement. Because if you're in the minority ownership, you know you want to make sure that you are there on the podium for any big signing, right? So there could also be just a degree of like hands are tied right now until that is official signed and announcements have been made. Uh, you know, I've seen now talk that, that when he comes in, when Blitzer comes in and buys it, it's going to be a 35 percent. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't have any inside info in that area, but I, it does certainly feel like this team, a, should have the space to have spent money. B, they could have spent six million on Jack Peterson and gotten definitely more value in terms of war than the four million they spent on Shaw and Maley. And it just, I, I, you know, I preach patience, but it's, I, there's nothing left. You know, the patience was there, and uh, they kind of wanted to wait and see what the prices would be. And guess what? The prices uh, never came down to their liking, and or they just sat there and waited in the weeds too much on these trades that they were not able to win. And now they're stuck. And I don't know what they're going to do, because it is an extremely flawed roster right now. Uh, it is a 40-man that is an absolute disaster show where they have a ton of hard decisions coming up. You know, we spent around this time last year where I started saying, hey, watch out for the 40-man. It's going to be a real issue. And it ended up being an issue. And it doesn't get any easier next year because they built a deep system. It's great they've done that. But these decisions are going to keep getting harder. They need to start, you know, doing the San Diego Padres approach and trading three or four guys who are going to be eligible to teams uh, that don't have to worry about such things and overpaying for talent, which... I don't know if they'd ever be willing to overpay for. That's just not in their DNA. And if not that, then they need to start doing what Tampa does, where you're trading assets that are ready now that you don't have space for, a.k.a. Tobias Myers, for assets that can help you down the road uh, to get, you know, just to kind of slow the hit. Now, Tampa is also up against it, but they refuse to sit back and let anyone go for free. They always work out some kind of deal. Uh, they always find a way to go out and continually add to their depth, and we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen the Guardians do anything. Like That's just the truth of the matter right now. Uh, they're just kind of sitting in the background with the same flawed team from a year ago. And again, I, don't, I know when I sit down to have discussions with the other locked-on hosts next week, they're going to predict the Guardians to finish last, and I don't agree with that because they were a 500 team whose pitching staff was mostly hurt. Uh, I think they're kind of still a 500-ish team who's, uh, you know, they're counting on improvements across the board, but it's it's hard to see a pathway to success. Let's put it that way. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Guardians podcast. Remember to rate and review, download daily, subscribe, like, comment on YouTube, all of those things, simple things you can do for free to help out the show. We're at 48 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, still one of the lower ones. Now I was also one of the last hosts to jump on, uh, to the YouTube bandwagon, but yeah, if you could help get us up there, um, I would much appreciate that. Uh, and as we add end every show now, go, go guardians, go.